Welcome to the Meditation Conversation. You are listening to Karan Alessandra. Welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us today. We are so excited to have our friend and teacher, Sanjan, here. Um, Jayanti Alessandra. Every time, <laughs> every episode, I'm going to get it wrong. But um, Alessandra and I um, have known Sanjan now for a few Two years. And a half, I three years, something like three, that. Maybe. Um, and he was our teacher. That's how we. That's how we got to know each other, and that's how we know him. And he just has an interesting story as far as his path to um, to service and to teaching. And um, he has spent time as a monk and um, followed various spiritual paths and um, is about to launch an exciting venture with um, online retreats. So we're excited to learn more about that. And uh, we just wanted to get on and, and have like a, a little catch up and learn more just about, about his, his journey because I think that there's so much depth in his journey and I think that it reflects so many different options within one's journey. So I know that every listener will hear themselves in at least part of the story. <laughs> and, um, and there's just so much depth and kindness and wisdom um, in this package. So, um, so welcome. It's so nice to have you. Yeah, Please. welcome, Sanyan. We're very well, glad to have you here. Beautiful. And, well, you carry on. Yeah, I just want to say that it's kind of actually thanks to you, Sanyan, that we have this podcast. It's kind of a long line to draw it there. But I mean, it, me and Kara get to know each other through this course called Korea Preparation. And so it was another woman, which if you listen to the first episode, we explain what, how me and Kara get to know each other. So it was this uh, friend of ours called Donna who reached out for a friend. And Sanya said, oh, maybe you can get a meditation buddy. And I was like, oh, I want to be meditation buddy. And Cara wanted to be meditation buddy too. So the three of us started to meditate and we started a WhatsApp group and we were just like coaching each other onward in life. And um, that's all thanks to Sanjan. And then she got a baby and me and Cara started our, our businesses. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the we had a baby, baby. <laughs> the meditation conversation. And, um, and actually... Um, this baby is uh, now going to get full custody to Kara, but we're going to share more about that in a later episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also kind of special to close it that you will actually help us close this together before Kara takes over. So mm. it's it's a joy to have you here. And thank you for connecting us so we could... I mean, thank we have had so much fun with this podcast oh, and yeah. grown so much. Yeah. So. And I yeah. look forward to hear your story. How, I mean, we know a little bit about you, but not much, really. <laughs> like, how, how did it start? I know that you're from England, right? Yeah, beginning. Originally, 
born to an English mother and an American father. Okay. Who met, my dad was in the forces and was an American base, an Air Force base near to where my mom lived in uh, our hometown. Mm. So um, that's where I started out. Actually. And was that in the London area? It was about 60 miles north of London in, in, a, in a small village near a town, about five miles from a town called Bedford, which is about 60 miles north of London. Okay. And so before I go into that, just to say, you know, it's such an honor to be here. And I remember, you know, guiding preparation for Korea, this online course, and just what bright lights you both were. I think everyone there, but uh, I kind of knew that you would be uh, having this opportunity to serve in some way. And so just to see that you are doing it and um, just sharing your lights with everyone. And I just love it. I've been, you know, I, I have been loving to see just uh, the podcast posted on Facebook and what you're doing and everything. And so it's just a joy. To well, be thank you so me. much. Thank you. Yeah. But so coming back to your story, how did the meditation or spirituality start to come into your life? Was it yeah. something that propelled that to happen? Yeah, or? I mean, for me, it was, you know, I, I really came into it around the age of 22. Um, I'd always been a kind of overthinker and I'd had challenging parts to my childhood where I was really withdrew and I was usually very popular with a small group of people but I was kind of generally unhappy with who I was and and I around about the age of 18 I was embarking about 18 to 20 I was kind of embarking on this exploration of what most teenagers are doing you know going out partying and all of these sorts of things but you know, after a little bit of time of doing that, and I didn't choose to go to university because I didn't have, I wanted to go to university be, only if I had, I was really passionate about something and I wasn't passionate about anything. And I just started to get into this quest where I wanted to really start to be happy with who I was. And so in my early 20s, I moved to London when I was 20. 21, 22, something like that. And I started to attend a course by a company called Landmark Education. And they did something called the Forum, and it was about ontology, looking at your relationship to life. And during that time, and it was a very expansive time for me, I started to really discover things like anything is possible and you can kind of create your own life and, and other things. But that was one of the things. And, and while I was there in this kind of quest for finding happiness and what really drove me, two things were happening is that I was still being challenged. And I remember, even though I wasn't really religious, I'd been to church a little bit. And there was a period in my younger childhood where the friends that went there and the community aspect of the church was very inspiring to me. Not The teachings weren't put off, but they weren't pulling me there but there was this strong community aspect that I really enjoyed it was the one period in my childhood which was probably two years you know before I was even 10 where I kind of uh, just loved that aspect but I didn't have a strong religious or spiritual experience and 
Um, and I remember having this moment in bed, kind of unhappy. I, ca I can't remember exactly what happened. And I just started to say this prayer to who knows what, but just like, um, you know, I, I just started to be grateful for everything. And I just wanted to find something that would really make me happy. And I remember the phrase that I came up with was, I don't care what it is that really makes me happy, even if, and it was something like, I have to wear pink Wellington boots and stand in a bucket. If that's what truly makes me happy, I'm willing to do it. And um, I love that. that sound, it was, it was deep yearning. Like I just, I want to be happy with who I am. And so I'd gone to this course during this time, I met someone there who was a Reiki and a meditation teacher. And there was, you know, everyone was kind of very interesting because everyone was in this phase of, discovering and learning about themselves but this person stood out very deeply because there was something in their eyes there was something in their presence they were incredibly present there was just something about them that was different to everyone else that I was connecting with and they were saying you know I'm doing a Reiki training do you want to come and I'm like I don't know what Reiki is but let's do it <laughs> I mean I <laughs> um and I did it and it was uh, it was a great experience for me, but I didn't really get what it was totally. I certainly worked on it for a time. And I went to one of her meditation classes, and this was in London. And I think two people were there. This was the beginning stages of her doing meditation. And we sat there for an hour with hardly any direction. And if you're a new meditator, yeah. you know that an hour, like 10 minutes can be excessive. And so this yeah. hour long. Yeah was incredibly intense and I in fact did not go back to a meditation session with her for another year mm. um, I kind of stuck with the Reiki a little bit but then it was kind of like a year happened and again I went into this darker space and I just remembered a presence that, that I could feel something with the Reiki and I went back and I went to a meditation group that she was holding that kind of was a circle and I, and she had kind of changed the format by the learned that like this one hour kind of working, yeah. working out. Yeah. And she had a small group of people and she was incredibly sincere, very wise. She'd been, she was from Germany and she had, a, you know, she'd been a nurse and she was really devoting her life spiritually. And Reiki was a tool to enlightenment and different meditation teachings were, and spiritual teachings were a tool to enlightenment. And I went to these groups each week and very quickly, you know, I, that was the anchor for my life. I, I was, that was what my life was about. That, that two or three hours, we meditated not for that long at all, mm -hmm. no, 30 minutes. And then there was kind of a discussion and she'd tune into what, whatever was coming through at that stage. But that became such an anchor for me, and um, and it really started to shift things for me. And then I and it was a very here I was in London, and I'd really hated the first six months. You know, I wasn't used to a big city. Um, I remember getting on the subway and it, you know six a.m. to go to the Gap, where I was working at my first job in London, and I was the denim expert and. Uh, <laughs> in south london and it was like 
jam packs at the subway. I didn't really know anyone. And so it was kind of this mix of, you know, not loving it, but also it was kind of this new adventure as well. And it was so spiritually rich. And because it was London, we started, her kind of teaching was very eclectic. So it was drawing from different paths and different teachers. And so as a group, we would go and see different spiritual teachers and teachings. And I remember going to um, a hotel in, in near Euston and there was a guy and he still teaches. His name is, um, I have to think, is John Deruta and he's from Ontario in Canada. And he was meant to be connected to the Pleiades, kind of, it was a very kind of from the star system of Orion and all of mm. these sorts of, kind of very mm. esoteric kind of things. Uh -huh. he would just sit in this hotel and there and it was kind of wild because there was these um it was kind of set up a little bit like landmark which was much more corporate in its kind of presentations of this ontology um uh, landmark series but this was the spiritual setting and there were in the background kind of some people wailing spiritually and crying and it was kind of quite quite mad and, and interesting and um and he would just have a microphone and people would come up and ask questions and he'd answer those questions and he'd speak very slowly into the mic and deliberately. And it was profound. But um, And I was at the same time growing. I took second, second level Reiki and I was more and more just thriving spiritually. Um, but I still didn't have a daily meditation practice. And then I went to see John DeRuta again I think it was the second or third time. And during this evening, and because of this work that I had done, I was just sat there and I went into a very deep state in meditation. And it was totally thrilling. And, and these meditation groups that I went to with Sabine, who was leading it, this teacher I was talking about, we'd call in all the different masters, you know, all the different, she'd, the second book she recommended I read was Autobiography of a Yogi. So we'd call in, all of the gurus from there, we'd call in Jesus and you know, Buddha and, and all these different, different masters. And I could, I was sensitive enough to be able to feel something in there. And so even though I hadn't had this spiritual training, and even though there wasn't the, the scientific and the huge amount of research and backing that there is now with meditation, I knew that I'd go into meditation, we'd call in different masters and we'd use these techniques. I'd feel something and I'd go out a completely different person. So I didn't know the science behind it. I was just kind of thinking, why on earth is this not being taught in every school, mm -hmm. being at universities? Like, why do people not have this? Because it was so profound change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know. Well, and let's let's just clarify Reiki because I think we take advantage of um that being like a common word, but it, and we've had a Reiki expert on here before, but in case there's one person who hasn't heard every episode, <laughs> um, maybe we just clarify Reiki. I mean, Reiki uh, predominantly is known as a healing modality um, and originated from someone called Dr. Asui. Um, I think he was in, and maybe you, it's been a while since I've, I've dived into the Reiki teachings, even though it was such a very important and big part of my life. I tend to be someone that I dive into something, but when I move away from it, I 
my my memory of everything kind of dies you just away. Drop it out of oh. your field. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was the 1800s. Um, I can't remember if he was spiritually minded before, but he basically had this spiritual kind of quest and he decided to go up a mountain and I think fast and meditate and pray for 21 days. And he had this kind of light came in and cut a long story straw. It kind of, um, uh, he connected to this healing energy and started to, ex and was able to do healing and um, went through this spiritual exploration of giving these, these kind of energy healings to people in the slums of Japan, I think he was in. And he would find that the people would be, you know, uh, they'd 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 heal, but then they'd go off and still do the same things they did in their life, and then they came back and they'd be back to where they were. So he started to realize that there had to be some sort of exchange. And the way that I was taught it was, it was actually a tool to enlightenment, of which healing was one aspect to it, coming to it. Yeah, and so your approach was more using the the system for your for your advancement and so that's how you were connecting deeper within yourself and finding that um you know your spiritual aspect was developing well, through I, that yeah it, it definitely was but i was also using the healing aspect i mean i was a i, I opened a reiki center um i taught reiki one you know i became a master um i really dived into it i'd practice reiki on myself every day i'd be a Reiki healer for people. Um, I held Reiki circles. I allowed people that had attunement with me to resit. So if they'd done Reiki one and I held another Reiki one, they could sit in on that attunement and kind of go deeper and just be around the teachings. I really was trying to support people once they had trained in Reiki to continue because it really is a, a long path. So the healing aspect was a strong component, but it was always in the kind of um casing of this is a tool to, to to be spiritually enlightened and one of the things that sabine was bringing through was that um we can as individuals become spiritually enlightened and of course we can hear that in several ways but one of the buzzwords at that time i think gets used again here is that we're spiritual beings having a, a human experience or mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. um so yeah, it was very rich for me. And, um, you know, I would have individual sessions with Sabine and it was like, we'd do Reiki, but we'd also be meditating like a two hour session. And so, so profound was my change that my mum and my dad both traveled to London from Bedford, the two hour journey and have sessions with her. So profound was my change. Oh, wow. um, and you want to just like, or if it's too personal, don't yeah. go into it. But, you know, for a listener tuning in, like, what is the change? Like, what can you expect? Or can you well, share more? I mean, it was just, I, I mean, just the, uh, I kind of, part of it is just touching on just the profound ability to feel healing and energy within yourself really changed my whole concept of what this world actually is. And so I can, you know, sit in 
a Reiki attunement, you know, an initiation, and they do some things with symbols and they do this thing and they close their eyes and there's a particular ceremony to it, which was all new to me. I go away and suddenly heat is coming out of my hands. And when I place them in certain places, it it, it actually changes me mentally and mostly. I start to feel tangibly going in stressed, unhappy, in a mood, whatever it is. I put my hands on myself, I feel this heat, and I start to feel peace and joy. I mean, that can, for me, that's like, that changes who I am as a human being. Yeah. I, you know, uh, even in the spiritual world as human beings, there's so many different teachings and things, but just that's kind of, for me, the foundation of there is a spiritual power that we can all tune into that's within us and it's just about uncovering those layers and doing different things. And everyone does it in a slightly different way. But that power and energy is we have access to that and we can experience that. And yeah, it's so true. And it's, it is so powerful. I, um, I did self-Reiki uh, just this week, actually. I hadn't been doing self-Reiki. I had just been kind of using it on other people. Um, but I did it on myself and, and it was after a meditation. So I'm very familiar with how I feel after a meditation, but I was like, why am I not doing this? I just felt this, like you say, like a tangible, you know, I just felt very full, very like just full of light, full of energy. And, um, it, it's, it is very powerful and it's such a blessing to be able to perceive that. And, um, and you can use it at a, a distance as well. You know, we're recording this during the lockdown with coronavirus. Um, well, not in Sweden, but in America, <laughs> we are shut in at home. And, um, so I've done some distance Reiki sessions with clients and, um, and it's it's amazing too. You know, I can feel it. It just as strongly. Um, I, I can feel the connection with them just as strongly from a distance as I'm working with them. And then what I'm getting back is really remarkable. Um, you know, where they're. You know, one client in particular I'm used to doing live. You know, I, I've worked on her multiple times um, in a live setting, and she was just like, I can't believe how much you can feel it and I'm not there, you know? So like time and space is just an illusion and um, it's a very powerful uh, vehicle to experiencing that. Yeah. I mean, it just, it was so profound. And, and, and that's what I think drew, I think my mom and my dad saw the change, but they also had Reiki with me and they could feel, and my mom would just say, I just can't believe the heat. Like she just mm. could have, I mean, it, just like she had done with me, it really was like, and it was really a spiritual awakening for her and even my dad as well. Um, but for my mom, especially, and they were both behind me when I eventually left London, which was a little later on and started a Reiki center back in my hometown because okay. I didn't want to be, didn't want to be in a big city. Mm -hmm. But so it was a very profound time for me. And, um, you know, and even people, I remember one of our friends, my mum's friends from, from childhood, you know, was an incredibly big drinker and he had a problem with a knee 
and I gave him Reiki and he just and it and it, 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 it healed it and and you know so you could you could reach people very quickly mm. so it might that doesn't make sense to them they, they they could feel they themselves could have an experience yeah they don't have to buy into it you know yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sitting here with that heat at the moment because I just had a massage today and she does a little bit of Reiki with it so I nice. I can testify <laughs> yeah <laughs> So then uh, does that take you up to when you moved to the States? It doesn't, no. Oh, okay. uh, you know, I, I, you know, my, so I was exploring all these different teachers. Uh, that, that John de Reuter was a powerful one because after that day, I decided I want to meditate every single day. I want more of this. So profound was that particular experience with him and I, I don't know that he's connected to the to the star system, Orion or Pelahides, but what I do know is he has a very powerful, strong energy and is a master at some sort of level. I, I can't speak to what that is, but he has a, an incredibly high vibration. And I also, at the same time, I remember going to see a, another teacher, and this was a very interesting case because it was this guy who just was not doing anything spiritual and had this awakening. And what I would say would be a Kundalini rising, a kind of a, an awakening. And so he kind of reached uh, some deep state that he could maintain. But at the same time, he was trying to mentally and physically on every level, trying to figure out what this is. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> so... I'd go into the room with him and just deep states of meditation. I didn't spend a lot of time with him. I probably went about two or three times. One of my friends from that group with Sabine worked with him individually. But so I was starting to really experience the, and also continuing to deepen the experience of I call in Jesus, I call in Buddha, I call in Yogananda, uh, you know, other kind of masters and I feel something. So what does that mean to me? There must be something to it. So there was this kind of unfolding. It was a very thrilling and exciting time. And then Sabine kind of went to India for a year and I actually stayed in her apartment, looked after it while she went. And during that time, I was kind of one of the many different teachings and, and I'd at the same time, it's a long conversation, so I don't know how much to go into it, but basically I, I came across, a, a, we, she encouraged us to meet, to work with a guru that taught med, on meditation, and I followed those teachings, um, and I, I did that. I did something called Merkabah training with, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, but uh, he was from Australia, and it was the Melchizedek method, and it was working with the Merkabah training and he had been a student with Drumbolo Melchizedek. And it was very, and it was all Egyptian kind of um, sacred, like, ge sacred yeah. geometry. Um, yeah, because the Merkaba is like the two triangles inverted. Yeah. 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 And so it's really a very deep energetic, um, it, it, uh, and it's kind of, there's a kind of like a mystery school wisdom to it and sacred geometry. And um, so I was learning that. She introduced us to Ascension teachings with someone called Doc, uh, Josh, Dr. Joshua David Stone. And he was in the States and he had written a book called 
uh, I mean, he's written, he's passed away now, and but, uh, oh gosh, can I remember it? I can't quite remember it, but uh, it's something to do with ascension, ascension, and it was a, an incredibly inspiring book, and he also wrote something called Soul Psychology, which is also a very good book, and, and he, he was a psychotherapist in, in LA, and he was spiritually, and in, in this, I think it's The Complete Guide to Ascension was, was the name of the book. And you can still get it now. Um, and in it, he gave you kind of energy trainings, but also kind of let you know about all sorts of different teachings, of which one was Yogananda's SRF, which was also in LA and different things. And he'd give you these different activations. And as I read them, I could feel things happening. And mm. Very interesting. Path. Well, because I was getting interested in him, I went online and on the website, and because I'd come from a path of healing, is is healing director of what Dr. Joshua David Stone was doing was uh, a, a teacher, my next teacher, Susie. And I just saw that her telephone number was in England, even though he was based in LA. And I connected with her and we ended up, I ended up going on retreat in California for a month and going to the Wezak Festival put on by Dr. Joshua David Stone. And that was a whole other journey in itself. Um, and we ended up, to cut a long story short, it was really bringing in the teachings of shamanism, Hopi, uh, Kabbalah, um, Reiki, adding, kind of creating a super Reiki um, step work uh, on the psychological level and going on retreats and really working with yourself. And it, so it was a very in, inspiring time but it was and then we ended up trying to start a community together um and and when i came back from california that's when i decided to leave london and start a reiki center and i was more connected with susie's teachings and i kind of left working with sabine um although sabine came to uh, susie's class you know just to kind of connect in and see what was at, what was happening but it was definitely a different style of teaching and it was a very big eye opener on a lot of levels. And I don't think there's enough time to go into it. But basically, <laughs> what I really resonated with her was her had near death experiences. And she'd had, she'd had a very, very um, gigantic spiritual awakening and impressive story. You know, she'd, 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 she'd been working for a billionaire as their assistant and had a crack cocaine habit of $500 a day and then had this uh, spiritual awakening where she died. The Archangel Michael came, this blue light, and did a kind of review of her life and sent her back. And then she had these amazing healing abilities and all these synchronistic things happened. And actually she ended up having several other near-death experiences because um, she was learning at each stage. She kind of got so far, but then she hadn't dealt with certain parts of her path and she kind of slipped back. And so it was a very kind of um, dynamic path with her. Um, and she was very humble, very dedicated to God. But then we, you know, and I still greatly respect her. But as we started to build a household together, it just became, it kind of turned into a different thing and it didn't resonate for me. And I, 
I left, but I left at that stage feeling it was because I was lacking and it was my fault. And there's a whole story here. So I don't, you know, I don't, it's a lot to go into, but basically it was becoming challenging to be there. And, and, you know, there was tuning into things like righteous anger and just things started to shift and change. Mm. And it was it was hard work and what was very interesting is towards the end of me being there well she would occasionally see like there's a blue light there and this master's here and that person's there she could kind of see things I couldn't so I couldn't verify that but what was very interesting was towards the end when I was getting in you know life was getting harder there she said uh Yogananda standing next to you and it was very soon Mm. after that Oh, wow. I left um, uh, there, and I and I left abruptly. I literally ran. I mean, it was so intense, and 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 I took my things and I left in one day. And I could go into the story, but that's a whole <laughs> web series. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there was a lot of things that I learned. Uh, and and in that it was a deeply rich experience but not at the time it was a challenging a very hard time for me and I ended up my dad had passed away the year before and he was from America as I said before and my mum and my brother were going over to see my family and I and I said and I just wanted to be away I just was very fearful of this group of this person There was a deep shame about leaving. I was very conflicted. The the stories of if you leave this path, you won't grow. All of these different things. And um, and, uh, so I said, you know, why don't I go to the States? And why don't I not do something? I just want to do training massage. And I came to America and I found a place in Madison, Wisconsin. My family's from Wisconsin. People often ask me, why did you choose Wisconsin? <laughs> in America, you would know this more why, but uh, I loved Wisconsin. I was planning to be there a year and to go back. And, you know, I lived for that year and a half, kind of really down. I wasn't connecting in spiritually. I hadn't totally, totally left it, but I was in a really dark space around it. And, um, but then I just got to this point where I realized I could not live without a spiritual purpose in my life. It was just a complete folly. I just couldn't do it. There was no reason. So I started to look spiritually and I reread Autobiography of a Yogi. Um, But this time I really resonated with it. And then the line came from Sri Yukteswar, which is in the chapter uh, 12, uh, Years in My Master's Hermitage. And uh, it's kind of where people would often question Sri Yukteswar in their um, worthiness of getting career. And he would say, forget the past, dark other lives of many people, um, uh, you know, paraphrasing that basically um, human conduct is ever unreliable until fully anchored in the divine. As long as you're making spiritual effort today, everything in future will improve. And that was. I, it just lifted so much off of me because I really was buying into I wouldn't make it spiritually because of leaving 
You're giving me goosebumps now. I I just recently read the chapter, but I think it's a very powerful statement. And I think this is something very many people battle with, regardless of what spiritual path you take. This is like, even before the path, we made many mistakes, but even on the path, we make mistakes. And it's like, it, I think it's easy. I, I'm just, you know, my own journey, like since getting on the path, then I beat myself up even more, perhaps a little bit less now. But in the beginning, it's like, oh no, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be thinking this. I shouldn't be eating this. It's like. <sighs> Absolutely. I mean, it's just one of the big traps spiritually. I think as you're right, as, you, as humans, it's a massive trap. A massive uh, uh, what happens, but but on and spiritually, um, it's a very big part of who we are. I think when people choose spiritually a path, there's usually a sensitivity in them um, in some way, and so we probably even more tune into that aspect of it. And because we're trying to be the saints and the masters, and you know the. Uh, and the great people we kind of look at, you know, I just, from everything from, I just had, you know, a, a Big Mac to, I just, you know, uh, told this lie or I've done this or I've done that to big things like we make mistakes. And I think um, it's a massive part. And, you know, what I really love for me with Yogananda, I mean, it was only a, a little bit of time, probably a couple of years later, that I remembered that Susie had said Yogananda uh, was there. And for me, it felt like Master was calling me back at that stage. He was calling me over. And, um, you know, uh, and so it was just this profound moment. And everything that I had learned from that point was an important, powerful part of my own spiritual development it was unique to me but uh, you know even from having abuse as a child with a neighbor you know or even in my early 20s i'd realized that everything that happens you get there's a there's a there's a higher purpose for it when we look at it in a certain way we can get caught up in the challenge of it but but everything has has a purpose and i just felt that yogananda inside i can't prove to anyone but just that Yogananda had been with me the whole time and guiding this process and that he was ushering me into this new time. And it felt like I could really feel because I had tried this and experienced so many different teachers. And, you know, when I was with Susie, we got to see a lot of, you know, we'd go to the Wezak Festival in Mount Shasta and there was 2,000 people that were attending over a week period, and there were some very well-known speakers, and, um, you know, I got to, she knew the rich and famous. I mean, I remember meeting Hazel Courtney, who was a very famous journalist in, in London, and she was on an, an escalator in Harrods, and she had this spiritual awakening, and after this, this kind of, again, the Kundalini rising, and she started to channel Princess Diana, and of course, when she starts talking about this, everyone is like, this woman is crazy. And, uh, you know, but getting to meet her and, and talk with her, and she wrote a book, I think it's called, um, gosh, again, I've got to remember, but uh, Divine Intervention, I think the book is, and it became a bestseller. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and Susie worked with her 
they work together, but Susie was able to help because, you know, when these things happen and there's Kundalini or, or when you grow spiritually and you're starting, when you become enlightened and the higher chakras open, it's an incredible amount of power and energy that runs through. And when these awakenings happening, it's like the circuitry burns out. You're not kind of ready for it sometimes. And mm. so um, this is a common occurrence. And what I started to find with with the yoga with the teachings from Yogananda and was that there was a very grounded teaching around it. And I started to feel that I could turn to the guru as Yogananda in this line of gurus. And with them, I didn't feel myself worthy to become enlightened, even though I had this, always had this yearning to do it, even when I was with Sabine exploring all these different things. When I was with Susie, it was always in the context of, I have a sense that I can become an enlightened being. That's what they, the, the masters are really telling us. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but with Yogananda, all of those doubts or things that were stopping me, I felt like the guru could carry the burden of those things and together we would get through it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, and then it just had these, and it was really teaching humility and it was teaching kindness and it wasn't, you know, in the spiritual, in, in the experiences that I had in certain areas was there was kind of competing and this is the most powerful path and all these different things and and it just didn't resonate with me and there was none of that with um, Yogananda and I went to a place called Ananda village and um, uh, which was you know working with Swami Kriyananda the, the direct disciple of Yogananda and um, there was just so much so i went to this village in northern california and all these people had these lights in their eyes and they were very kind and i i remember because i'd been and i just moved in with when i first came to i just moved in with my new girlfriend not straight away new but we'd been together for a while but my new girlfriend we moved in together in in madison wisconsin I came to an under village to do meditation teacher training and unbeknownst to me, Kriya initiation, even though I'd been training for it. And I stepped foot at an under village and I was like, I don't know whether I can say this, but I just kind of like a mild swear word because <laughs> kind of like I knew instantly I wanted to move there. Mm-hmm. And here I was. And I was just so adamant I would never want to be involved in a community again at that mm-hmm. stage. But, um, and it took me three years to kind of work up the courage and to really feel that it was right um, to move there. But, um, but it was really the people that drew me to it, as well as a growing understanding and a change in me. Uh, and just, um, you know, part of our path with Susie was to really work on the shadow side of things, mm-hmm. I think is, you know, an understandable teaching and it's a very popular teaching in a certain way but we kind of focused on it without really focusing on the light as much and it just became very heavy mm-hmm. and so by that time you know I just was had enough of talking about my story and my childhood and everything else and even though it was this rich phase it was just very hard work in that sense and so 
I loved the fact that um, there wasn't that emphasis, even though there was talking about, um, you know, kind of journaling and introspection on the path. It wasn't a huge part of it. And so you did end up moving to the community and you became a monk. So yeah, can you I mean, talk I, to us about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, Swami Kriyananda, the founder of, of Ananda, was a disciple that went to um, to Yogananda straight away after reading Autobiography of a Yogi. And he became a monk because Yogananda had been a monk and Sri Yukteswar had been a monk even though he'd been married. And so on this path, this Indian path, monk was a strong component of it. And so I always... I mean, I never before had an interest in becoming a monk, but I always kind of felt an interest, a, a fascination once I got onto this path. And then I was listening to a talk by Swami Kriyananda. I think it was around 2010. He may have even said it at that one talk that I heard, but if not, it was around that time. And in the talk, he was speaking to people that at that time lived at the village, and I didn't move there till 2012. So I was just visiting for a meditation teacher to... Um, and he said, you know, I encourage people to become a monk for a year at the village or a nun or on the path it's brahmachari, brahmacharini, the Indian tradition. And there was something when he said that, that kind of, oh, I could be a monk and I don't have to commit for a lifelong aspect. So I was interested and attracted to that. And then I moved to the community and, you know, you have a whole process and it takes usually about a year to a year and a half to go through these various karma yoga, um, experience Ananda, and then living in a group house for a year, um, and a month-long retreat called Living Discipleship or Moving Into the Group House. And so for me, um, at the end of that, a couple of friends of mine came up to me and they said, and at that time there were a few monks in the village, and there had been a, a lot of monks and nuns in the very beginning because Swami was a monk, and then... Swami felt that people were kind of um, thinking that it was better and spiritually more advanced to be a monk. This kind of delusion was creeping into people. And so he decided to uh, go into a relationship to kind of show that it didn't have, that that was not so. And of course, as soon as Swami goes into this relationship, um, everyone, <laughs> like the, the monasteries just empty out mm. and all the, monks and nuns that weren't allowed to really be with each other started marrying each other and it was just a very interesting <laughs> experience and so there was many incarnations there was a couple of incarnations of the monastery you know monks and nuns always there were always some but as an actual monastery or a cluster of people there wasn't and I think this would have been the third incarnation so my friends came up to me who weren't monks and uh, I think one of them may have been a monk already come run and they said, I remember being in the group house and I was in the kitchen and they were saying, like, we're thinking of starting a new incarnation of the monastery. What do you think about coming? And I decided to do it. And um, so to cut a, a, an incredibly long period of life experience, but basically it was a deeply rich time. And I think what I drew from being a monk was the power of having a, a small group of people completely dedicated to meditating meditating together um and to meditate with some a very deep meditator at that time was 
very rich for me. And so I just, I grew from it. And then, you know, I did it for two years, but towards the end of that two years, I started to get the, the inklings for relationship. And mm -hmm. I just got to a point where I felt like it was becoming too much of a distraction. And so I kind of went through the process of leaving the monastery and then um, kind of being in the community as, as a, what they would say is a householder, but really is just someone who isn't a monk or a nun. And, and um, you know, so that's kind of what happened there. Okay. And then, um, and so you worked and lived at the this community and you were a teacher and um, specifically ran the Kriya Yoga program. And then um, last year, no, two years ago, you made last the decision year. to, was it two years ago? A year and a half? 2018, kind of September is when I officially... Oh. Time flies by. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was July that we started to make the decision, and, and September was when I left. I'd, I got, I'd gotten married, and I, I kind of entered into a period of just a lot was going on, and um, I think a lot was coming up for me spiritually. And at the same time, I think my wife was also struggling with just being in the community. Mm -hmm. She was fairly new it. And, um, and so I think I really made the decision rather than Vashti, my wife, to move because I could just, I could see how hard it was and, and I was struggling with how to handle it um, at that time. And, uh, and, and I think because of that struggle, and it was a struggle for me, and all sorts were coming up for me, I, I was struggling with my sadhana towards the end. And and your sadhana would be a spiritual practice. Yeah, so sadhana, my spiritual practice, my meditation, mm -hmm. my connection with, with Yogananda. And because even though I'd been asking my guru, I want to find God in this life, um, and then a well-known fact is that uh, on the spiritual path, lots of challenges come up, and particularly the way that they talk about it in Ananda is that rather than a bed of roses on the path, the guru is laying down a bed of brambles to, you be, to, to grow spiritually. And, and that was so one I of the things that I know Giant, or Alessandra and I both loved so much about your classes was that or your class that we took um, was that embracing, you know, you were sort of leading by example of like, yeah, I'm kind of just struggling a bit. You know, you would you would struggling. indicate <laughs> like, OK, my my son, here are the here are the guidelines and here are things that we should be doing. And this is what I want to be doing. And, and I'm having a hard time with this right now. And it was so real <laughs> And so powerful to to be like, because to your point about joy and the, you know, the emphasis um, of the teachings on not focusing on the shadow self and focusing on the light. And that's so beautiful. And sometimes it gives you this perception that like, um, 
that the that's the best way to live. And if you're not, <laughs> then you're, you're yeah. not doing something right, maybe, you know. So it was mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Those few years was a dark night in the soul. And really, we, we, we kind of decided to leave in July. And I, I left in September, Vashti, a month before, because she was becoming a teacher at the other Ananda community in an urban community in Silicon Valley called uh, Palo Alto. And um, uh, so we tried another community connected to Ananda. And, um, uh, but from March of that year all the way to me leaving, that's when it really got intense for me. It became, started to become, you know, I, I wasn't diving towards master as the teaching would say, I was pulling away because I, I was you know, all these different feelings coming up and I was feeling guilty about it. And, and so I, I, my sadhana was becoming less, my kind of burying my head in the sand, but also doing, getting busy with work rather than deepening my connection. Mm. All of those things were happening. And I was being real about it with people, but... It was just, and I had spoken with the leaders and I was like, we need a time away. Um, and we were actually going to go to Europe in July. And then that fell through with my brother, which was a big challenge. And then I ended up on the spur of the moment going, coming to Palm Springs, which uh, where I'm actually recording from now to my brother's house. And for a month with, with Vashti, when she'd finished teaching at the village, and in that time, we decided to move to Palo Alto and for me to leave the Kriya Sangha, the Kriya, Depart- Kriya Yoga Department. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was the next kind of phase. And then that kind of led into my mum was also going through uh, having Alzheimer's. And I spent, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with her as I was kind of processing the fact that I was leaving Ananda, even though it was my choice to do it, there was a huge part of me that kind of brought up things about leaving the community from Susie's, even oh, though it was yeah. brought mm-hmm. up that. It brought up, you know, here I was in this amazing uh, 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 position of service with the Kriya Sangha, and I'd kind of stepped away from that. And, and so there was just a huge amount that I was processing around that. And Bashti and I were kind of going through a process at that stage and trying to figure it out. Um, I think just like any marriage, usually you go through, you go through any, you go through these things. Mm-hmm. And so I am, um, but with my mom going into Alzheimer's and expended a, a serious amount of time with her, that created a whole new level of challenge for me because I was very close with my mom spiritually. And suddenly here was my mom. She couldn't, she couldn't remember anything. And I remember when we were at the village, um, you know, just being on a Skype call with her, with me and Vashti, I was on a Skype call and it was the first time I really got my mom is losing it. Mm. And I remember Mm. I had to just move away from the screen and I broke down and Vashti had to carry on because she was just again and again and again saying the same thing and she was my mum was beginning to not be there and um and then now in Palm Springs having left there I I 
we'd moved to Palo Alto, but I came to Palm Springs because my mum knew it. And this extended period with her, it became even more evident that this was happening. And I was doing it on my own with her whilst I was going through this kind of breakdown and figuring out everything that had happened and trying to make spiritual sense of it. Um, but blaming, blame, putting the, the burden of it mostly on myself, also sometimes towards Vashti and that kind of was a whole other thing mm. and that increased over time. And, um, and so it was a very, that became a dark night in the soul in itself. And I struggled with my sadhana even more so but I didn't let go of, of being with master and I still was doing my sadhana, but there were periods when I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, but my energy, I, I, after my mum left this extended period, my energy really dropped. And I don't know whether I really had a breakdown or just it was a deep depression, but um, I, I, my energy really lowered. It went down and I mm -hmm. couldn't, I had this great idea of, of what I wanted to do, but I just wasn't in the space to do it, you know, like with these online retreats and things, but I wasn't in the space to do it, but I kind of just hung in there. And one of the teachings that Yogananda shared was, um, and, I, and Swami Kriyananda was very good at sharing this, was that it's important to lift the energy and to get the energy moving. And even though I'd been this incredible meditation teacher in charge of uh, the Kriya Sangha and all these things. Here I was in this space where I was just struggling to do my own meditation practice and to even turn towards God, Spirit, Master, which is what we call Yogananda, because I felt resentful towards him. I felt also embarrassed about all these decisions that I'd made and all these challenges that I had. And um, so I just started to work as a server. Um, in England, we call it a waiter uh, in a local hotel just because I wanted to get my energy moving. Mm. It, that, that teaching really proved right because I started to be able to shift myself and my meditation started to come back. And then this spiritual renaissance kind of happened where I... I let go of the guilt of everything that had happened. I started to take responsibility. And I started to do that as I started to realize because of the teachings that God and Guru were always there. They didn't judge you. They didn't mind about your faults and your challenges, only that you're making an effort. And that, in fact, God, if we follow the, 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 the teachings uh, from uh, at least the Hindu philosophy, and also I think uh, definitely the Christianity in the in part of the Bible is that God created the light, and He created evil, and He created everything, and so we weren't responsible for evil if God had created it. And part of the powerful teaching is that you know, everything that happens in life is a dream of God. And so and it's all grace, right? I mean, it's it, everything is encompassed within God. Yes. And I think that's a beautiful way to see your path as a whole. You know, it's like, there've been so many different iterations of different teachings. 
And it might be tempting to look back now and see where you are and like, oh, okay, this is my path right now. Or, you know, this is where I am. And I'm really firm in it. And I've learned so much through it. And, and there's, could be like a, and the other, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, but um, as we weren't recording, I'll, I'll, you know, tune the listener into this, but, you know, it could be easy to look back at that and be like, well, that was wrong. What's not, what, what I left was wrong. And that's why I left it because it wasn't the right thing. And now I've found truth. Whereas in actuality, it is all of it is part of your path and everything worked together to get you to where you are, the good stuff and the bad stuff and the hard stuff and the glory and the everything, all of it is part of it. And to the point that you made earlier, like to be able to grow, you kind of have to have something that you come up with resistance. You know, you've got to kind of rub up against something in order to break through it and to to get that challenge and that um, opportunity to face the things that you have to get through. Otherwise, you know, one of the things that Yogananda says is um, an easy life is not a victorious life. You know, it's like we're mm-hmm. if we don't have the opportunity for the ch- for the challenges in order to help us break through into who we really are, then what do we have at the end of it, you know? Um, I think it's very important that you share this also, Sanyan, because sometimes, as we talked about earlier, we can think that, oh, the spiritual path is all about roses and sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. Not really. Not really. If you really want to grow, it's not like that. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the, like one of the, uh, Yogananda brought so many beautiful teachings, but this is also like, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't judge yourself. We should not judge others. No, we we taught Jesus taught us that, but also not to judge ourselves. And because we would distance ourselves from the divine when we do that. You know, I think uh, I come from Sweden where we're not really that religious. And um, I just see a lot of people still have this image of that God must be this male figure on a cloud judging you. And that's keeping people away from that because, yeah, I I wouldn't accept that either. Mm. And, uh, but, you know, Yogananda said that through these techniques, through meditation, you yourself can experience that thing which some people call God, that thing which some people call Divine Mother or Spirit. You can create your own contact with the Divine. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, it's just, there's so much to it. And, um you know, Yogananda was actually very, very hard with his uh, with his disciples that he was around, in in not being negative, and not being especially negative towards yourself because, you know, the divine is always there. But you, the way that he would say it is, you block me out with your negativity, and especially when you think of yourself because. The part of the teaching also is that God is within everyone. And if you're thinking negatively, you're kind of, you're not tuning into that aspect. You're tuning into this kind of what he would call the sin was to call the greatest sin was to call yourself a sinner. And I I was just in contact with a friend who was sharing something similar in an email of, you know, how she didn't feel worthy 
of like she wouldn't feel worthy to ask for help and I think this is so common I've seen on my own journey it's like oh I wouldn't be worthy of that community I wouldn't be worthy of these friends or like mm. who am I like look at my background look at look at my family <laughs> and, yeah or like not my family but let's look at my you know the things I've been through in life I can't be a saint or like why would I you know all yeah. these kind of things well one, the, you know, uh, no, one of the things about being connected to Ananda which is a you know a global spiritual community that has in-person communities so about a thousand people live in community in various locations together full-time what's beautiful about that and the many, the many people that come from different backgrounds is you do get to see that literally everyone can grow from this spiritually and just on your spiritual journey from meeting everyone else outside of Ananda you just get to see that that is a delusion mm. um, everyone's got such a different story and you know these powerhouses of people that I think you see were just regular people like you and me and um you know but they just followed a series of teachings and practices and well and and, uh, and as i mentioned you know it, these things that you know could be seen as your you know your your dark nights of the soul and things like that have have come together to bring about such wisdom and bring about such teachings and so let's loop that into these your next adventure that you're diving into is this online um these online retreats and so you're using the i mean i just can't imagine a better person to be charging ahead and giving this gift to humanity of of the wealth of your knowledge and your experience, and you've got such a deep history spiritually, and and, and Alessandra and I know your spiritual depth personally. Um, but can you talk to us about what what your vision is and um, how you how this is going to work, and um, what what do you feel inspired to share about it? Well, God only knows how it's going to work. But <laughs> my, my, my at the moment is is I mean it, it's it's in creation. But basically, the idea is that um, you know one of the things that I did at Ananda was start to be part of the team that came up with an idea of creating online retreats rather than going in person to a place like Ananda, where you actually go and there's people around you and you're in the spiritual setting. You go to your laptop and your tablet and your mobile phone and you take part in a retreat for a period of time and you have a class and you have spiritual practices, all the things that you would. The only difference is when you get up, you're in your own home and you're next to your laptop and you're not in person. And, and how inspired is this idea when we are recording this during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, <laughs> I wish I'd had it ready to go. I know, but weeks. but they're saying, you know, the landscape is really going to be changing. It's going to take a really long time to get back if we can get back to what we're used to. So I think more and more it's going to be like a digital, uh, yeah. a lot more digital interaction. So you're really ahead of the curve here. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I mean, you. I, I think you both attended online retreats. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong with that. 
that, that I'd led. Um, but, but I did not. I remember when you did, but I wasn't a Kriyavan yet. Yeah. And um, so, but you've attended online meditations. I mean, yes. online yeah. meditations, just, they can be so powerful. And, mm. you know, I just had so much fun when I, I just happened to get into the online with Ananda when I moved to the village. And I really experimented with online meditations from the length of time and different ways you could present it. And then we had this idea to create an online retreat and, and it was so powerful. I mean, people really were kind of is. way by mm. it, you know, they just couldn't. And I could feel the power and just like, you know. Well, we talked about like the distance Reiki and how palpable that energy is. But it's the same, you know, during this, um, again, during this lockdown, I've, I teach, I'm a meditation teacher certified through Ananda also, like you are. And um, I've moved everything online and I do a free um, online meditation with many people from um, across the different classes and studios where I teach and a lot of people who I don't know who join. Um, And it is, it's amazing the energy that comes through. And then you have people, I mean, I've watched some of your things over time as a recording so not only am I not there in space sorry not only am I not yeah I'm not there in person but I'm also not there at the same time as everybody and I have had such powerful experiences with that because it really does um it it goes beyond time and space which is is wild it really is wild but it's so true we're stepping into yeah Sorry. I was just saying we're stepping into a time where time and space is going to be more and more dissolved. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you really think about an online meditation, just like distant Reiki, and you start to have an experience like that, I mean, it really tells you that there's something that there's someone in Sweden, there's someone in the US, there's someone in Australia, there's someone in England, you're sitting in different rooms in front of some laptop. But the meditation that you're experiencing is 10 times more powerful than if you were doing it on your own and it gets deeper and your inspiration gets increased. And yet you are thousands of miles away and you're closing your eyes and you're pulling in these muscles and you're using these techniques. That really starts to change you, just like it changed me in the beginning with Reiki. and, And for me, I've always been able to tune into that on some level, on a big part of the level, there's no difference with online as there is in person. Mm. Other than I get up and instead of Jayanti and Kara sitting next to me and we could say, God, that was a great meditation. Let's go for the coffee. <laughs> for a coffee. You're all getting up in Sweden. You're getting up in the States and I'm at home here. So that's the difference. And mm. there is a certain part where you have to kind of let go of the fact that you're in front of a laptop. It's a block for people. I always felt a way in which I could kind of get that, you know, to kind of help dissolve that for people in the way that I led it. Um, it's where they could kind of let go of. The, the, yeah, I remember the... you were good at that. Mm. So, um, so that so the idea is to create these online retreats, um, but also I'm writing blogs and podcasts, and I'll be, um, you know, kind of. Do, uh, with possible one-to-one kind of meditation teaching and coaching and 
creating meditations and practices and guidelines for people. But really, I'm firm on my path now. And just like you say, every aspect of my experience was just as important as it is now. So I'm not like the, this is the deeper path for me, but I've but every stage is important. And even before you come on the consciously come on the spiritual path, that time of of going into a breakdown, of going into a breakdown, of going off drinking, of having that big divorce, of getting caught up in work and money, all of that is an important part of your journey. And right. so, so I'm really strong in my path, but I and so I'll be teaching the universal teachings of yoga that some some of the teachings that Yogananda taught, but I'll be bringing in the, and my job is to connect people to their higher self and helping them discover their path, knowing that some people are still exploring, but, but that's an important phase for them knowing that some people may take these techniques and use these retreats to be a soul path, but also it might be just to deepen whatever path they have already. Um, and also laying out some of the traps and challenges of the spiritual path, because the spiritual path is thrilling and enriching and so powerful, but it is, there are these certain challenges that come up and it's just helping people navigate navigate that and to be aware of them and how to move through them and not to feel disheartened mm -hmm. um, or to stop um, when that comes. And I think we're in such an important time where there's so many different paths and practices out there and no one is better than the other. Um, it's, it's whatever path, the most powerful path is the one that resonates and speaks to your heart and allows you closer to spirit. We're closing up. I just want to quote you, Sandyan, because <laughs> something you said in that Kriya course, which, because I was going through some challenges at that time, and then you share that you were going through something as well to the bigger group. And I don't know, as a student at that time, it was really helpful to hear. And one day you were saying something like, some days we're... we're walking on a path some days we are crawling and or you know I think you gave the example of like you feel like you're crawling you're really trying to grab the pebbles or something and I mean I've so many days felt like that or I had a friend who felt like that and I was like you know this is what my friend Sonia said I think it's such a good example because we feel like that and it's okay you know some days you are crawling but mm. you're crawling forward and that's okay and then also the longer you travel, I mean, suddenly you're going to have a group of friends there. So you don't have to be crawling for too long before someone is there to give you a hand and help you up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm really tuning into that so much more is just that you, it's, it's really about the direction and that we're doing our best to go into the direction and really what, you know, coming out of this phase where I wasn't doing my sadhana so strongly and all this and that was happening. I just kind of have tuned into crowding out those habits that weren't necessarily helpful for me and just starting, I'm going to do something that's positive spiritually. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. going to do something. It's like what Yukteswar, Sri Yukteswar said, as long as you're making spiritual effort, as long as today I opened up a spiritual book and I started to read something, I'm doing something spiritually. Mm -hmm. There's watching a YouTube video, listening to a talk, Whatever it is, just 
taking those steps out, but really remembering to bring the divine in because the divine is always there and the, and these masters and, and this and, and spirit, whatever you want to call God, spirit, higher self, divine mind, you call it the, the pure crocodile, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> the name doesn't matter. Pure but it's, crocodile. It's a nice one. Yeah. Greater aspect of ourselves that we, you know, that, that, that part of us that knows the right thing to do that serves yeah. us. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Sanyan. Yeah. I think we could go on for hours here, but it's approaching Good. midnight here for me. Yeah. I'm just going to say that um, uh, at the moment, I'm kind of mixing the name of what I'm doing, but there is a Facebook page. It's called Get Up and Grow. And that if you just join that Facebook page, um, I, I'm sure there will be a website. Uh, we're just figuring out the name. Um, but uh, Get Up and Grow, that Facebook page is on, and you'll start to hear exactly how everything unfolds. And I'll, we'll put that link in the show notes so that they can have yes. easy access to that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. This has just been thank you, Sun Yan. such a beautiful dive. It's so long. Thanks, to, ev- <laughs> thanks to everyone who's been listening. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we look forward to the next meditation conversation. 